Once upon a time. In a land far away. I'm Katrina. And I'm Jeff. And welcome to the Fairy Tellers Podcast. Myth, legend, folklore, fable. We explore what they say about cultures then and now. Grab a hot cup of cocoa and a comfy seat. While we retell you a thing. Welcome back to the Fairy Tellers Podcast. And Happy New Year! Woohoo! 2020! Yay. Things are looking better than ever. And also, I should say, welcome back to Katrina to the United States of America. Thank you for welcoming me back. <laughs> so, the question that has been on many of our listeners' minds since the Geomythology episode is... Did you see the Sisters Islands? I did not. So it was funny because it was kind of like a a frustrating morning. So for the listeners who don't know, I was in Australia. Um, I was actually going to a friend's wedding that was out there. So completely not geomythology or mythology or fairy tale related trip. But while we were researching for the geomythology episode, I had found a story that had happened in the area that I was going to be. And the story described like the shaping of the whole landscape. And so I was like kind of excited to go and check out the whole landscape and like learn, see if I could learn more while I was in the area. And this one set of little, I think they're called islets because they're not full islands they're called uh the sisters islands in this in the story but the people who have like the australians that are european descent have renamed it the page islands oh. um so i wanted to i wanted to see them and you're supposed to be able to see them on like a clear day as you take the ferry from Cape Jervis over to uh, Kangaroo Island. And so when I was on the ferry, I was looking and I even had like my telephoto lens to try to like zoom in and look at. And I think (laughs) I think I saw a blip of something on the horizon using like my telephoto. But it's really hard to tell even when I like put it on my computer and zoom in. I'm like, it's, it could be a freight uh, <laughs> ship <laughs> because it looks very square um, or not square. It looks very like it has like squared boxy. edges is what I mean. Yeah. yeah. It looks really boxy. And the, there was supposed to be an area that you can like kind of look out really close to it on the mainland and see it. And my husband and I tried to get to the walking trail for that. And a lot of the roads in their national parks are unsealed roads. They don't have like pavement and we were in a rental car. (laughs) And so we're like going down like the trail and we're just like bumping all over the place, like in our car. And there's like kangaroos hopping like, uh, next to us like in the car is very australian and um, that was in deep creek if anyone is wondering what national park that was deep creek so yeah we weren't able to get to the spot that's supposed to be a really good viewing area but Ooh. when i was walking down to the ferry 
my husband and I saw a trailhead and in front of the trailhead were a bunch of placards and they had the story that we had told on the podcast, like on the placards. And there's actually a second Aboriginal group has a different story about the area. So maybe a follow up story sometime. Oh, that'd be cool. But they had like, you know, the picture of this guy, Nuran Guri, who was like trying to like chase this giant fish as it carved out like the Murray River with its body. And that's cool. So I was excited that like there was an acknowledgement of the story like yeah. there at the at the trailhead. Yeah, that's always exciting. I was in a like a museum the other day and I sent Katrina a picture, but it was like I was reading the plaque to one of these pictures and they're like, oh, and there is a distaff and spindle at this woman's feet. And I was like, oh, there is a distaff and spindle. I know what that is. Thanks to <laughs> our Mother Holly episode. <laughs> No, what I loved was that you like messaged me and you're like, I'm learning things from your podcast. (laughs) So glad. (laughs) And we hope you at home are learning things as well. So yeah, speaking of learning things, today we're not talking about the new year or Australia or trips to the art museum. We're going to be talking about another one of the Famous Grimm's fairy tales, probably the most famous, Hansel and Gretel, which I'd be super surprised if someone listening to this podcast had not heard of Hansel and Gretel. <laughs> yeah, they were like, come again? Because <laughs> there's a really like creepy movie coming out. It's actually called Gretel and Hansel, which I didn't realize that it, they had like flipped the names in the movie, but it's like a creepy, creepy, like ultra horror version of the, of the you know, story. It looks like it's going to be very different, but... Have you seen the trailer well, for that? No. It's like... Oh, uh, ju- no. That's a lie. I think I have seen, like, part of it. But all I can remember from it is is just, like... No, maybe I haven't. Man, I'm full of lies today. Because I'm like, was there, like, any shots where the children are looking at uh, cake and sweets? Because that would be unique. <laughs> I actually don't I actually don't think there are because it's like there's this one shot the shot that I always remember is like some shot I think like the witch is like pulling like something like a big sh- string of something out of like Gretel's mouth but it's all like in silhouette and they do it like super quick like just a quick cut to that to be really creepy I mean this yeah, movie looks super creepy yeah and that's not my jam <laughs> yeah <laughs> Well, what's funny, I'm like, I hardly watch. I'm one of those people that's like, I don't watch many movies. <laughs> I don't watch TV. I'm reading books. <laughs> Nerd. It's like, ugh. I do watch. And I'm the opposite. I do things. nothing but watch TV and movies. So we're a good, you know, yeah, yin and yang on that team. one. We're a good team. So, yeah, there's actually... The reason why Hansel and Gretel is probably one of the most famous of the... Grimm's stories, I think it's just because it had such a potential to be like remade into like movies, cartoons, candy shop advertisements. <laughs> there's a lesser known ballet, and then there's also a more known opera by Humperdinck. I just really wanted to say like his last name. I'm trying to remember. It's like Eugene Humperdinck. I could look. I don't have to, but his last name is Humperdinck, and I'm like, excellent, as it should be. 
Oh, Engelbert. <laughs> Engelbert Humperdinck. And then also like graphic novels, comics, like it was, it's super reproducible when there's a point when the brothers Grimm started to sell single story, single story books and like Hansel and Gretel was one of the first ones that got that treatment. And it also, when in like 1893, their copyright lapsed on the story on their book. And that was like 30 years or something after the last Grimm brother died. And it was one of the first ones that kind of got snatched up and started to be like reproduced and used, put into um, early readers for children's that were in like public schools and stuff. And so it's, it's one that kind of really got disseminated and like pushed out. That was a lot of very dry information for everybody. (laughs) (laughs) So this story has also been one of the most edited and revised Stories by the Brothers Grimm themselves. Oh, interesting. And so there were some pretty significant changes, not like story or plot wise, like significant changes from the 1812 version to the 1857 version, which is usually the version that gets printed in English that people are reading. There were some really significant edits in there or kind of things they chose to highlight and things they chose to um, not highlight. I kind of like gloss over or yeah, omit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so Jeff's going to be telling us the 1857 version and then after I'm going to be not retelling the whole 1812 version, but Kind of, I have a side-by-side comparison that I found between them, and I'm going to kind of go over the main differences between the stories. All right. So, next to a great forest, there lived a poor woodcutter, his wife, and his two children. And of course, as we all know, the children were Hansel and Gretel. And it should be noted, this is his the, the stepmother to these children, as I, you know, like in all fairy tales, it's not a fairy tale unless one of their parents has died in some horrible way or, you know, life in the 1800s and before. <laughs> they died in a horrible way or, you know, just being alive. <laughs> exactly. In this time period. Being alive in that time period killed, in the end, about 100% of the people <laughs> from that time period. <laughs> Yeah, it was a very difficult because time. Because of how hard it was. <laughs> Which is reflected in the story because in this story, they were living a very hard life and there wasn't enough food for their family. And they were like really worried that they were going to starve. So, you know, the the man, the woodcutter and the stepmother were lying in bed one night and said like, oh, what are we going to do? How are we going to feed our children? We don't even have enough food for ourselves. And so the stepmom, surprise, surprise, is evil. And she's like, you know what we're going to do? We're going to take the kids out into the woods, into the thickest part of the woods. We'll make them a fire, give them a little bit to eat, and then we'll leave them there and we'll go off to work. But they won't be able to find their way home, and then they'll get lost in the woods, and then we'll be safe. So the woodcutter hears her say this, and he's like, no, I can't do that. You know, I can't bring myself to abandon my own children in the woods. 
you know, wild animals will come and eat them. And she's like, well, your choices basically are we can all starve to death together or you can leave them in the woods to their own devices and then we will have enough enough food to be able to get by. So the dad's like, oh, no, I feel so bad for the, the kids, but we got to do it. Unbeknownst to them, the two children were so hungry that they couldn't fall asleep. So they heard everything that the stepmother and the dad were talking about. And so Gretel is like crying. She's like, Hansel, it's over. We're going to die. And Hansel's like, don't worry. I know what to do. So as soon as the parents had fallen asleep, he got on his clothes and went out to the door and he saw, you know, the moon shining down and it shined on these rocks that were in front of their house that would like just shine so brightly in the moonlight. So he bent over and he was like picking up as many of these stones as he could and he filled his pockets with them. And then he went back into the house and was like, Gretel, don't worry, it's going to be okay. And then he went back to bed. And then in the morning, the stepmother came in and was like, get up, you lazy bones, we're going out into the woods to fetch wood. And so she gave each of them a little bit of bread so that they could have it, uh, you know, for their, their lunch. She's like, don't eat any sooner because you're not going to get any more. And so Gretel put the bread in her apron because Hansel's pockets were full of, you know, the stones that he was going to go. And so they start walking out into the woods. And after they'd walked a little way, Hansel kept stopping and, and looking back at the house. And so his dad was like, you know, hey, Hansel, why are you looking back? Pay attention and don't forget, you know, don't watch, you know, watch your feet so you don't trip or whatever. And so Hansel's like, oh, I'm just looking at, you know, our, the, the white cat that's sitting on the roof. He wants to say goodbye to me. And the woman's like, that's not your cat. That's the chimney. That's the sun shining off the chimney. Let's go. And so and he kept dropping the shiny pebbles along the road. All right. So once they got into the middle of the into the woods, the father's like, "Okay, go go gather some wood, and I'll start a fire so you guys don't freeze." So I think it's really sweet that the dad uh, doesn't want his kids to freeze to death. He wants them to starve to death. Like he's <laughs> he's very particular <laughs> yeah, about how, how he wants these children, children to, to die. die. <laughs> yeah, it's like starvation. No, that would be just too or freezing to death. That'd be too terrible. Starvation is the way like, to go. He's like, oh, I gotta go pile up some wood. It would be really sad if we'd get cold. Like, <laughs> would it? Would it, Dad? So you know, uh, he tells him, go go ahead and lay down by the fire. We're gonna go get go cut some more wood, and we'll come back to get you when we're finished. So Hansel and Gretel are there by the fire. Midday, they eat their little piece of bread. And, you know, they could hear, like, what they thought were the blows of an axe, which they thought their father was still nearby working. So thinking that he hadn't left him behind yet. But it wasn't. Apparently, it was just, uh, you know, he had played a trick on him. He tied a branch to a dead tree. And it was like the wind was beating it back and forth that made it sound like an axe. Like, man, this dad, for not wanting to do this, is, like, really taking it to the next level. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, he's he's really committed to this lie. <laughs> he's like, oh, I would be it'd be so bad to leave my children to starve in the woods. But you know, what would totally trick them. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, they're sitting there uh, for so long, waiting that they fall asleep, and then when they finally wake up, it's dark like just night and gretel starts crying she's like oh my gosh how are we gonna get out of the woods and hansel is like it's gonna be okay gretel you know just wait until the moon comes up and we'll find a way and so when the moon had come up he took gretel by the hand and they started walking and they could see the pebbles that he had left behind glistening in the moonlight and so they followed those stones all the way back to their house when they got back to the house, they knocked on the door and the stepmother opened it. And when she saw that it was Hansel and Gretel, she was like, oh, you wicked children. Why did you sleep in the woods so long? We thought you wouldn't come back. 
And so the, but the dad was just like super overjoyed when he saw this children had, had made it back. So he's like, oh my gosh, I, did, I didn't want to do it. I, I regret everything I did, even tying that dead log to the tree to trick them into thinking we were still out there. Yeah. And I'm, I seriously, I'm like, okay, give it five minutes. This dad's all like, oh, it hurt me so much to leave you in the woods. And then like, he'll, he'll get over it. Spoiler alert. <laughs> he's going to get over it. Next paragraph. The step <laughs> stepmother comes back to him is like criticizing him for you know being attached to his children. He's like, no, we got to go through with the plan. And the children once again were awake and heard the whole conversation. And so when the adults were asleep, Hansel went back out again to try to get some more pebbles because that worked really well for them that first time. But the stepmother had locked the door, so he couldn't get out. But he went back to bed and comforted Gretel. Was like, don't worry, Gretel. You know, sleep well. You know, God will help us. We'll figure something out. And the next morning they get up to go. Stepmother wakes them up. They receive their pieces of bread, even less bread than they had last time. Cause you know, this one's like, okay, maybe we can have them starve and freeze and whatever, trying to up her chances of actually killing these kids before they <laughs> could make it back to the house. And so Hansel took his bread and crumbled it up inside of his pocket into pieces. And so they were walking down the path again and Hansel kept stopping and looking back at the house. And so he was dropping little pieces of bread along the way. And so his father's like, Hansel, why are you always stopping? You know, keep walking. And he's like, oh, I can see my pigeon sitting on the roof and wants to say goodbye to me. And then once again, the stepmother's like, you fool, that's not your pigeon. You know, that's just the morning sun shining on the chimney. Idiot. Little by, <laughs> little by little, Hansel had dropped all the crumbs onto the path, but they were like deeper into the woods than they'd ever been before. Once again... They made a fire, said, you know, sit here, children, if you want. If you get sleepy, go ahead and go to sleep. We're going to be cutting wood, and then we'll get you in the evening when we're finished. Well, when it was like got to midday, Hansel had scattered all his bread along, so Gretel shared her bread with him since he'd scattered his all along the path. And, of course, the evening passed, and nobody came back to get the children. So they woke up again, and it was dark and night. And so Hansel comforted Gretel. like, hey, you know, don't worry, Gretel, when the moon comes up, It'll reflect off of like the bread that I've left in the woods and we'll be able to see the path and be able to follow the way back home. But they couldn't find any crumbs anywhere because, you know, all the birds that are out there in the woods had seen this like free food and are like, score, and had eaten it all up. So they're just like walking through the woods the whole night, all the way until morning, but they couldn't find their way out. And by this time, they're like super hungry. And they like can't find any food anywhere. And so they just are pretty much walking like deeper and deeper and deeper into the woods. So they're, you know, been walking for so long. Their legs are tired. They're starving. They're like, you know, if we don't get any food soon, we're going to die. Which is like, okay, it's only been one day. Kids are being a little dramatic, but <laughs> things really are getting desperate. Well, they all of a sudden see this like snow white bird that's sitting on a branch and it was singing so beautifully that they stopped to listen. Be like, oh, at least I'll have this bird to sing me beautifully into the <laughs> darkness of death. So he stopped to listen to this beautiful singing of this bird. And once it finished, it stretched its wings and flew out in front of them. And so they started following the bird until it came to this little house. And as they got closer to this house, they saw that this house was built entirely from bread with a roof made of cake. The windows are made of sugar. All sorts of sweets are on it. And so they're like, yes, we hit the jackpot. Like, we found food. We're no longer going to starve. So Hans is like, well, while we're here, we might as well help ourselves to a good meal. So they just start eating, you know, all the sweets. 
And he's like breaking off some of the roof and like seeing how it tastes. And they're like licking the sugar windows. And all of a sudden they hear this voice that's calling from the inside like, nibble, nibble, little mouse who is nibbling at my house. And the children are like, the wind, the wind, the heavenly child. Like in unison, as if that were something that they knew to say. (laughs) But they continued eating, not worried about the fact that. Just a random (laughs) I was just going to say a random side note on the, that rhyme, yeah. the like the, he- the heavenly child part is just in German. It rhymes. That's just right. Because it, it's one of those things where it's like, why does that sound like not so stupid? Yeah. <laughs> that, which is what I thought too. was like the wind, the wind, the heavenly child. Yeah. And yeah, it it rhymes in German and it also, I guess, makes more like, sense in german yeah and it makes sense too because actually like mouse and house those are pretty much like what the german words are for mouse and house yeah exactly whereas like wind i don't know what wind is but but it's you know probably different but that makes sense yeah that's one of those things i was always like not always but when i read this i was like why are they rhyming but also not rhyming and saying things that don't make any sense yeah so it's like just briefly because yeah when i would read that and so sometimes in the English translated version, what they do is they'll say the wind, the wind, the heaven born wind. Uh. But then they're rhyming wind with wind. And I'm like, that's a really weak rap. <laughs> you need to get your act together. And also, so they don't really care that they've just done like a call and response with someone who was wondering why they were eating her house and they just keep eating. And then, you know, an old <laughs> woman opens the door and peeks out and she's like, super old as old as the hills they say leaning on a crutch and they were super scared that they dropped the food as if they didn't just hear her calling from inside the house (laughs) yeah being like who's nibbling on my house and they're like oh there's someone in here but no they they wait until they actually see her before they're like oh so you know, they, the woman comes out and she's like, oh, children, why are you here? You know, and then she's put, she's all concerned for them. She's like, oh, come on into my house. No one's going to harm you. And then she looks straight at the camera and gives a big evil wink. <laughs> takes them by the hand and leads them into the house. And she serves them, you know, a good meal, even better than her house. Like with real food, like, you know, milk and pancakes and apples. And, you know, it's good for these kids to get a little fruit. They've been a little carb heavy in the story thus far. Yeah. And, you know, she makes up little beds for them. And, you know, Hansel and Gretel went to bed thinking like, oh, man, like we've gone to heaven. Not only was she like feeding us, but she's giving us a nice place to sleep, which is like better than our parents could do who just starve us and make us sleep by fire in the middle of the woods. Yeah. But as it turns out, by that conspicuous evil wink that I added earlier, she was only pretending to be friendly because she was actually an evil witch. <laughs> She'd built the house out of bread and whatever, hoping to lure starving children into towards her house so that she could capture them, cook them, and then eat them. Yeah. We've talked about cannibalism before on yeah. the podcast in regards <laughs> to, like, monsters and how, like, cannibalism is just kind of a reoccurring, like, moral, ethical dilemma that human beings have, like, wrestled with. So, yeah. so, so this like, is a oh, fun, well, must... fun cannibalism story for your kids. <laughs> a fun, exactly. Because it's very clear that she's not being a cannibal out of desperation because her whole entire house is made out of food. Yeah, she just she likes just really eating kids. She likes the taste of human flesh. 
<laughs> yeah, it has like a really weird detail about like they're like witches have red eyes and can't see very far, but they have a sense of smell like animals and know when humans are approaching. Well, it becomes important that she has bad eyesight when she when Hansel's tricking her. That's true. I was I'm like, glad it, I included it. Yeah, I was like, no, it is important. <laughs> so while the kids are sleeping, you know, early in the morning, the witch gets up and she looks in at the kids and she's like, sees them lying peacefully. And she's like, oh, these are going to be, you know, a delicious mouthful. (laughs) And she, you know, takes Hansel and takes him into a stall and throws him into a cage and locks him in there. And then she takes Gretel and is like, get up, lazy bones, and basically starts ordering her around and making her do like all the chores uh, around the house while she's, you know, preparing food and stuffing Hansel's face to fatten him up so that she can eat him. So she's like turning into a real stepmother in this story. (laughs) So, you know, Greta was like really upset about having to do all this stuff. And Hansel was, you know, not excited about the fact that he was going to be being eaten. Every morning, you know, the woman would come up to the stall. Why it was important that she had red eyes that could not see very well. Because she tells him, Hansel, stick out your finger so I can feel if you're fat. And so he sticks out like... Instead of a finger, he sticks out a bone. And so the witch feels the bone and is like, oh, Like a chicken not... bone, not one of his, like, bones. <laughs> not a bone attached to his own hat. Exactly. Yeah, so, like, he's a bone fine. Was, like... So it sticks out and she's like, oh, he's not fat yet. But then it was like, you know, it's been a month and Hansel is still thin. So she's like, you know what? I can't wait any longer. I don't care if he's not quite fat enough yet. I'm going to cook him anyway. So he calls Gretel in and gets her to fetch some water. You know, and she's like, hey, you know, whether Hansel's fat or not, I'm going to cook him tomorrow. And so Gretel is like, goes to pieces, so sad that she's like being forced to like carry the water that her brother's going to be boiled in. And so she like prays, she's like, please help us. If only animals had devoured us, it would have been better than this. And the woman's like, no, quit your whining. And so the next morning, the witch makes Gretel get up early make a fire and the woman's like oh you know what first we're gonna bake i've already got a fire going and i've got the dough ready why don't you go and look in climb into the oven and see if the the oven's hot or not yet you know see if it's a good time to put the bread in and so gretel seeing what was going to happen she's like oh you know what i was sad that hansel and i weren't weren't able to die together in the woods looks like we're going to die together here now because she's going to cook me before she even cooks hansel her prayers were answered (laughs) So she's like, I got to do something about this. So she sees the opportunity. She's like, you know, Hansel's been tricking her with the bone trick this whole time. So I'm going to see if I can trick her. So she says to the witch, she's like, well, I don't know how to get in. And of course, the witch thinks that Gretel's completely stupid. So she's like, Gretel's like, I don't know how to get inside. So the old woman's like, God, you're so stupid. The opening's big enough. Look, I can even get in. And so she starts crawling in like, see, look how how easy it is to get in. And just then Gretel, poof. Gives her a shove, causing her to fall in. Gretel slams the door, secures it with a bar, and the old woman began, like, screaming, scared because she was trapped in an oven and about to be burned to death. So Gretel runs away, leaving the, the witch to get cooked in her own oven, and she goes to Hansel's cage, Gretel does, and opens the, the stall, lets him out. He's like, Hansel, we're saved. The witch is dead. And so Hansel jumped out of there, super excited to be let out of the cage for the first time in a month. And they were just like super ecstatic. And, you know, now with the witch 
locked up. They didn't have anything to be afraid of. So they're like going to the witch's house and like just looking all over like, Time what to can loot. we get from here? <laughs> exactly. We've murdered this old witch. Now, now it's, it's time to loot, to loot her house. <laughs> <laughs> so they run around and they find, in addition to food that they can take, you know, on their journey, try to find their house. They found a chest of pearls and precious stones. A and large like, TV. <laughs> The 90 inch flat screen so Hansel takes you know his the precious stones and pearls and shoves them in his pockets and he's like oh these are even better than pebbles and Gerda's like oh yeah they are let me take some home as well an astute so, observation brother so they they get out of the witch's house and they're like okay we're back in the predicament we were in before though like how do we get home so they start walking around for hours and hours and they finally find like a big lake or some body of water. And they're like, oh man, how are we going to get across this way? And girl's like, well, there's no boats, but there is a duck. I'll ask the duck if he could help us. So seeing this white duckling, she calls out to the duck for help and it's like, duckling, duckling, come here. And the duck comes and, you know, Hansel climbs onto it, which is like, this must be like a huge duck because he's been being fattened <laughs> up for four weeks. <laughs> Besides the fact that he's a human person and he asked for Gretel to get on with him, but she's like, no, no, it'll be too heavy. It'll sink the duckling. So, you know, we got to have some logic in this story. I know it would be horrible if it made no sense. <laughs> and so the, you know, the duck took him back, took turns, take him across the way, which again, it's like such a weird specific detail. Okay, what I find interesting about, like, the duck helping them here in this story is that so often when people are remembering the Hansel and Gretel story, they're remembering the birds that, like, ate all of the bread yeah. path. And so it's kind of like, birds! So, I mean, in the way this part, it... Uh, yeah, it's like a counter counter it, to those evil birds. Not yeah. evil birds, but the birds that, like, screw them in the beginning, they get helped by a bird in the yeah. end. There's kind of, like, it a, redeems, a symmetry redeem, to it. Yeah, it's like it redeems the birds. The, <laughs> the, the birds are chaotic neutral. Exactly. <laughs> so once this bird decided to help them get across, because they just proved that they were worthy by murdering a witch. That's Indeed. what I'm assuming. Indeed. It, they get across and they start going through the woods and they get to a place where they're like, oh my gosh, I actually recognize this area of the woods. And they follow it back to their father's house and they rush in and like hug their father. And, you know, so the the father was like so excited to see them because he'd been miserable since he left them out in the woods. And to add like even further to this, like the stepmother had died while the the kids were gone for this over the this month. So it was like what good that did to help them from starving to death. But, you know, they got in there and Gretel was like, oh, it's not just that we're back. And she like shakes out her apron and all the pearls and precious stones come like pouring out. And it's like, we're all so rich. And so with all that money, they could afford to buy food and they lived happily ever after. Yay. The end. Awesome, Jeffrey. Thank you. The version that Jeff just told is the one of the 1857 versions translated of course into english and it's usually one of the more common ones the ones that get told the most often so yeah, it's like there's a few details in there that i'm no. like i don't i didn't remember but for the most part it was like the story went as i kind of recalled you know yeah in my mind my mind always cuts out the the stone part 
Yeah, like it just goes straight to the crumbs. Yeah, it just goes straight to like the bread, and definitely like the duck was yeah. like, I don't recall Wait. this duck helping them find their way back. <laughs> That's interesting. And I think in Humperdinck's opera, it's actually like angels who help them. His opera is very like overtly Christian. Uh huh. Which there was some of that in this version of the story at least where like they talk about you know like oh god will help us and yeah so stuff like that but only a little and they actually they added a they added in more overt god stuff in the later versions of the story so i looked up a side-by-side comparison of the 1812 version to the 1857 version um, so that exists out there if people are interested in looking at it for themselves. Most of the edits that the Grimms did to this story was to make it read easier, make it read prettier, more like literature. So uh-huh. a lot of people, they think that the Grimm brothers were like walking around, like trying to like record people and they're like, real language like they're real german and trying to like write down like their dialect and that's what this project was about that's not what this project was about (laughs) um they were compiling like these stories because they studied a lot of literature when they were in school and i mean they saw some importance in capturing these stories, especially creating like a national identity for Germans, because at the time the German speaking states were all split up and um, it wasn't Germany. There wasn't like a Germany country and the people really wanted a Germany country and Napoleon stuff was happening and all kind of like everything. It's a, very interesting part of world history in respects to Europe that was going on like at the time, but they were trying to actually turn these stories into a kind of literature. And so they themselves were starting to like edit the stories to make them sound more flowery, more elegant, more polished than the way that they had heard them from uh, the some of the people that they knew. So there's a lot of editing that went into just that respect. Yeah. And also they were editing. They were editing out stories that people found like gory or over sexual because when they published their book, And their book was called Children and House Tales. And so it wasn't like labeled like stories for children or children's stories. It was children and household and house tales. Yeah. And so it was just basically stories that are told to children and inside of the household. Right. And so some of the stories people were like, even at the time it was published, we're like, this is too gory or this is too over-sexualized and we want you to <laughs> get rid of this. <laughs> and so they did it. And I think that's hilarious because a lot of the times we'll hear things that are like, 
like Disney is sanitizing these stories and taking away their real meaning or like children today are too soft for the stories that were once told to children around the world. And I'm like, no, that's not what happened. <laughs> People like you existed even back then saying that they should yeah, change that, things. Yeah, that were like, um, no, we definitely shouldn't be reading this. And so like the Grimm's brothers themselves were doing like a whole lot of editing in the 1812 version of the tales that they published, there are like 34 of them that don't go into any other edition. Some of them were because it was like too graphic, too sexual. Some of them it was because there are other tales that exist just like them or that were already in the book. Uh-huh. They would try to combine some of the stories to make two close versions into one bigger version. And so it's not even that they were like truly capturing these stories and the way that they were told, like in a folk setting anyway. So, yeah. So it's like, if you really wanted like the true original version of the story, you'd have to go back to, you know, 18, 1807 in Germany and have some like old lady tell it to you. Exactly. And then it would still be, it would be like, Oh, and that's that lady's favorite version. version. (laughs) Yeah. So in the side by side comparison, most of the major differences that are added are just for making the story sound prettier making it sound a little more like eloquent. Yeah. But there are some key differences in the story. So some of those differences, the biggest one, the most obvious one is that in the 1812 version, the woman in the story was their actual mother. Oh, interesting. So in the immediate next edition of the book, she was in 1819 it was changed to be the stepmother. Wow. And people suspect that, well, cause some people say like, Oh, the reason they did that is because like the Grimm brothers were very close to their mother. And now that their mother was dead, they, and their mother died while they were still like in school. It wasn't like something that happened after like 1812. Gotcha. Um, but they're like, Oh, they just, they love their mother so much. And so it was hard for them to like have stories where the mother was like doing mean things. And I'm like, no, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think that that's why they changed it to stepmother. I think it was stepmothers were really common back in the day because like 40% of women at the time uh, died in childbirth. Oh my gosh. That's maternal crazy. death that it was actually one of like the highest points for maternal death rates and i think one of the reasons why it had shot up so high was because men were starting to get really involved in the the birth process and like being yeah. doctors and thinking that they were like oh we know how to do this we shouldn't let midwives be into anyway so yeah that's a well, that's one of those things too like they talked about, you know, like doctors, we talked about this in one of our other ep- episodes, I'm pretty sure, where, you know, back in the day, like before they knew about like germs and hand washing and stuff, like the doctor would go and be like treating some patient that was like dying of the flu or something. 
Yeah. And then not wash their hands and then go help a woman give birth. So it's like, you know, it wasn't necessarily like the childbirth, but it's like contracting infections or disease or something from the doctor who refused to wash his hands. Yeah. It was like people who are like, oh, I'm going to go from like doing surgeries or whatever or autopsies on like dead bodies to then go and like help this woman give birth. Yeah. And so it actually, yeah, it was actually one of the highest points like in history for like maternal uh, death rates. And yeah. so a lot of kids did have stepmoms because like their mom would die like in childbirth and then their dad would be like, okay, next. So, <laughs> uh, and so there's, there were a lot of like, stepmoms and the time and so it kind of makes sense uh because even there were a lot of like anecdotal stories about just how stepmoms just don't love their stepkids as much as they love their kids right there was a lot of that going on and yeah. so changing it to a stepmom made the story more relatable to the audience so it was just like a logical change to change it to right be a stepmom instead of the mother but in the earliest versions of the story, it was their actual mother who was like, I'm going to take them out into the woods and leave them to die so I don't starve. Another thing along with that that came in the edits was that they started to add lines from the dad that were like, but I do feel sorry for the poor children. <laughs> and so... <laughs> so originally he didn't actually care. Yeah, like, originally she was, like, the mom was like, well, we don't want to starve. We should drop our kids off in the woods. And he was like, yep. and it said she gave him no peace until he said yes. So it's like, she nagged him until he was like, yeah, might as well. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, then in, like, later editions, they actually have him being like, oh, it's a, a very sad thing to do. But, yeah, okay. Like, I guess if I have to. And so then we, I think we talked about really briefly, like before they started adding in a little more references to God, like at the beginning when Hansel's saying like, don't worry, Gretel, just like sleep well, like I'll take care of it. And later versions, he's like, don't worry, Gretel, sleep well, God will not forsake us. And so they're kind of really sticking in like right. the, the God element. And they even in later on in the story, when they killed the witch, they were like, in the original version, they were just like, she killed the witch. And then in later versions, they were like, they killed the godless witch. Right. And it's like, okay, we get it. Witches are pagan and you hate them. Like, we understand. And you're thinking like, and you said kind of earlier that one of the reasons they added more of the overtly Christian religious stuff is because of kind of responses from other people. Like yeah. kind of along with the same, like, it's too violent. It's too sexual. There's not enough religion in it. Yeah, like, well, there's not enough God in this story. So, and then in another example of kind of, like, them blaming the mom, in the original version, it said, the man was very disheartened, and he thought it would be better to share the last bit of food with the children. But because he had done it once, taking them into the woods, uh, he could not say no. So, and that that was, like, the sentence explaining when they were taking the kids back into the woods. Right. And so the 1857 version 
is like the man was very disheartened and he thought it would be better to share the last bit with the children, but the woman would not listen to him, (laughs) scolded him and criticized him. And I'm like, wow. (laughs) It's like, let's just put all the blame on the stepmother. Yeah, like, she did it. It was her. She was the one. We should definitely blame her. I'm really curious to hear about the end, too. Like, when they come back to the father, since they, like, spent so much time. Since it wasn't so much, like, just vilifying the mother in the the 1812 one. Like, I'm interested to see. Uh Because, like, they come back and it's like, oh, well, the evil stepmother is dead. It's just the dad who never wanted to do this to you anyway, even though he did anyway. Yeah, we will get there. We will get there. Jeffrey. I also wanted to let you know, because you were kind of like, what is this little white bird that like takes like that's like singing over the house, like leading the children there. So in the 1812 version, it just says on the third day, they walked until midday when they came to the little house entirely made from bread with a roof made of cake and the windows were made of clear sugar. So but then in the later edition that you read, it's like, it was already the third morning since they had left the father's house. They started walking again, but managed only to get deeper and deeper into the woods. At midday, they saw a little snow white bird sitting on the branch. It sang beautifully, blah, 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 blah. And there, so there's all of this like random, like this bird yes. led them there. And it's like, okay, because white birds are usually considered a sign of like a peace and safety and all this stuff and so it's kind of like did they add this little bird in to like foreshadow that the children are going to be okay was it a false sense of security that the witch was able to somehow lead use to like lead children like to her yeah And it's not really explained, but it was a thing that was just kind of, like, added into the story as, like, something that kind of directs their walking to the house. Right. To give it just, like, oh, instead of them randomly coming across this, there being a reason why they came across the house. Yeah, exactly. And it kind of makes sense, too, with, like, you know, the birds that ate the bread before. Like, they would see this bird just randomly in the woods. And then the bird's like, well, I'm hungry. I know just where to go. Yeah. And yeah, because a bird might lead them to... Food. Another food source. Yeah. Yeah. It's like maybe trying to add logic into it instead of like just the randomness. Yeah. Or even like what I had said earlier when they were trying to add more of like a literary bent to the stories where they were like, oh, we want to make these a little bit more like classic literature. We want to make them a little like fancier, have a little more clout. And so if we kind of add flourishes and more like symbolism and foreshadowing and whatever, they're like, oh, then this will make the stories like a little better. Yeah, more literary. Yeah, more literary and less folk tale. (laughs) Um... So, what's interesting also to me is in the later versions, they gave more speaking lines to Gretel. In the original version, it was more stuff was happening to her. Yeah. And she was just kind of like walking, you know, like crying and sobbing and then walking along. Like, she wasn't really 
actively participating in the story. And then in the later versions, she at least says more stuff and is like more involved in the story. And such as her line when she's saying, dear God, please help us. If only the wild animals had devoured us in the woods, then we would have died together. And that's a line that completely got added in to the story. Again, it adds God to it because she's like saying like a prayer, but it also gives her like some lines in the story, like where she's not just like mutely walking around. Uh, But one thing that they took out of the 1812 version was when Gretel was supposed to be getting things ready to be cooking her brother, it said, Gretel stood in the kitchen and cried tears of blood and thought that it would have been better if wild animals had devoured them in the woods. Jeez. And so, and so I'm like, again, when they went through, they took out some of the gorier bits. This yeah. one, there weren't a whole lot of gory things for them to take out, but the part about her just like standing crying there crying blood... blood they were like, eh, we can take this out. <laughs> it never really made much sense anyway. Cut. Yep. Like, that won't go in there. So, those are just, like, briefly some of the, like, two different... Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, and at the end of the story, like, Jeff, you asked, when they get back to the house, the mother... In the, in the 1812 one, their mother has died. Yeah. And in this one, the stepmother's died. A lot of people have kind of put a lot of like looking into that of wondering like, well, because it's one sentence or yeah. it's even like, it's just it's a part, like part of, a, part sentence of a sentence. Yeah. Where they're like, Oh, the dad was so happy. The kids were home and the mother was dead. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they're like, and then they pulled the coins and the <laughs> gold out of their pockets. We're on the states of everyone. Father happy, yeah. mother dead. Mother dead. Tons of money, happily ever after. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> kind of I'm sorry, over what? Really sad part there. Yeah. Um, so people, one of the theories... And it's more of like one of the like psychological theories that people have like towards this fairy tale is that the reason why the mother died at the end of the story is because the mother was the witch the whole time. Oh, man. I'm not joking. That's like one of the main theories theories that people have. I could see that. And even on like some sort of like symbolic level. Even yeah. if it wasn't supposed to be like, oh, she was literally the witch. Although it could, might as well be as as much as, you know, things make sense in ser- some fairy tale logic. Well, and then in people who were, you know, like fans of Freud and kind of those beginning stages of like psychology are saying like, oh, because Gretel was the one that killed like the witch. That's like all young women want to like defeat their mothers and so Gretel was able to like murder the step was able to murder the witch, which symbolized the female figure in her life that was like having control over right. her once. Or maybe um, they, they explained in the beginning of the story that there was not enough food. So maybe she just starved to death. Yeah. And also a very common end to stories like 
fairy tales have some very common endings that just kind of like you know that like he woke up and it was all a dream right. trope that people are like so done with in like movies and stuff. Yeah. Um they have like common little quick ending tropes that happen all the time in like fairy tales where it's like and the person who did the bad thing in the beginning is dead and here you can have a princess to marry and now you'll live happily ever after. Yeah, totally. There's like lots of stuff where they just like all right, we got to tie up all the loose ends in one sentence so we can all live happily ever after. Like the exciting stuff of the story is over. Yeah. So here's and the so happy ending. Yeah. And since the loose end in this story was like, okay, that mother who would, if they had showed, yeah, because it's like if they had showed up that second time and she was still there, she'd be like, okay, let's wait a couple months and then try and ditch him again. Like, yeah. So she had to be dead for like this story to end. So it's like, if you want to look at it in like a psychological way of like, it's a symbol of mothers like needing to be defeated by their daughters. Like, I, you can look at it that way if you want to. I, have fun. I, I can't. Yeah, have fun. It's <laughs> not at all my theory. <laughs> yeah. And there's there's interesting things to that you can. I mean, that's part of the whole thing with like literature or any kind of like textual analysis. Where you're going in and trying to find out like other meaning or even if it's just meaning for yourself, it's like, but you can definitely go way too far with it. Yeah. Because it is, like, if you need an empowerment story about, like, getting rid of toxic people in your life, like, by all means, here's Hansel and Gretel. Like, if you feel like Gretel and you're trapped by some toxic person in your life, shove them in an oven. Problem solved. (laughs) Metaphorically, of course. I don't want people thinking I'm actually advocating that they (laughs) murder toxic relatives in their life. No. Never. Never. Nothing is better after a long day cruising down Route 66 than finding a great place to get delicious food. Before you stop in at the famous Jackrabbit Trading Post, head over to Mr. G's Pizza in idyllic Joseph City, Arizona. Enjoy pizzas made to order, toasted subs, or fresh salads. And when you're done, grab some ice cream to enjoy while you get back on that beautiful Route 66. Remember to ask for Andy! And let him know that he needs to pay those traffic fines, whether or not the aliens do come back for him. He won't need that money in space. Mr. G's Pizza has been family-owned for 25 years, and when you're there, you're family too. But not Andy. He just works there. So, Jeff, you shared a fascinating article with me. And it was funny because you shared it with me and I was like, I will read this later because I was on vacation. So (laughs) I was like, I'll look at this later. But when I was kind of like doing research and going over stuff, I was looking in my copy of the Oxford Companion to Fairy Tales. Um, If anybody is interested in knowing a lot about fairy tales, yeah just studying fairy tales this is a great book like to start with we're not sponsored by them or anything i just want people to know the oxford companion to fairy tales it's super useful yeah and as a matter of fact they might be like anti-sponsoring us like they're like please do not um make us think in any way that we're affiliated (laughs) with this podcast like we don't know these people we didn't tell them to shout us out but when i was looking at the like the entry that they have for hansel and gretel 
I saw just like this little paragraph that was saying that there was a time when people wanted to, they wanted to know, or they wanted to believe that fairy tales were based on true stories and to kind of feed that fire of interest. This one man actually made a parody book creating a historical record for Hansel and Gretel. And it was published in Germany because the guy was German and it was called the truth about Hansel and Gretel. And that's kind of just quickly, like all they said inside of the Oxford companion to fairy tales. And I was like, that'd be really interesting to like look up and research what it is. But first I'll read that article that Jeff sent me. (laughs) (laughs) And it was like about that very thing. Yeah, it's called How a Literary Prank Convinced Germany That Hansel and Gretel Was Real. And it's on Atlas Obscura, which is like a great website for like random stuff about all sorts of things, like weird places in the world and whatever. But yeah, they go into like some pretty good depth on the story behind the guy writing it and even kind of what he wrote in his book. And it's it's incredible when... You're reading the article and we're probably going to we're going to put the article on uh, the fairy tellers Facebook page. So if you didn't know, we have a Facebook page, we have a Facebook page and we're going to be trying to post more links in the new year on there and just kind of facilitating like discussion about these cool things, because obviously I'm super interested in talking about stuff like this. And there's all sorts of stuff that we come across that like in the research that don't make it to the like podcast or that you know like we get we take something from it but there's tons of cool information that you could get from it that people might be interested in so like this article like yes it basically it it goes in real depth with the basic story that this guy came up with there was a a guy and the story that he said was like the true story of Hansel and Gretel was that you know the two siblings were not children they were actually adults and they were bakers that were living in Germany and what happened was you know they murdered the witch in or- who was also a baker in order to steal her recipe for this you know gingerbread like traditional german bread um so that they could get it and like you know this whole story behind like wh- how that woman became you know to be known as a witch because it was actually like some rival baker was trying to marry her to get her recipe, but she refused. So then he started these rumors that she was a witch and, you know, goes this whole thing about, you know, how this fake essentially like amateur archeologist discovered the actual witch's house and figured out all this stuff about it. But it was basically like the author. And there was like charred gingerbread inside, but it was charred gingerbread and a recipe for this stuff. Like that was like, with burnt edges. Well, what's really interesting to me about in there when it, because he also was claiming that like the origin of this kind of national gingerbread treat, because it's this like soft gingerbread cookie recipe. Uh And it has like, it has a specific like German name for it, but he's claiming in the, the book that the, this woman who was murdered came up with the real first recipe for it. Right. And that it was like stolen from her and then taken to this other country. So now this or not other country, but other like region. Yeah. And, and so like the whole reason that region is famous for that type of gingerbread 
is because of this murder. And I'm like, yeah. wow. <laughs> like, he took this prank to the next level. And, like, even, Elaborate you Elaborate know, backstory. Yeah, and in the book, they have, like, photographs of stuff, you know, like the charred gingerbread that he found and, like, the witch's house. And even of the, the like, archaeologist who was, like, a made-up person. But, like, apparently him and, like, just a photographer friend, like, went out into the woods and he, like, wore, like, a trench coat and, like, a f- literally, like, fake beard and mustache. And they were taking these pictures of him doing, like fake archaeological work to like publish into the thing and like he just thought it was like funny he thought people would get that it was you know like a joke but people did not get that it was a joke (laughs) and what's hilarious is at the end of like that article and it's been the guy the man's still alive who did the hoax and he said that like what's kind of weird to him is that there are still people who believe that his book is real, even though it's been totally debunked. He's come out and said, of course, it's all fake. None of the evidence like holds up or checks out. Even the recipe that he claims to have like found inside of this charred burnt building. It's just a copy of a very common recipe for it that was found in like a cookbook everybody has in their house. (laughs) So, but people... People wanted to believe it and people still want to believe that it's like based on a true story. And I've found that with like several of the stories that I've uh, kind of told or when I've talked to people, because I know people who when I'm like, oh, yeah, mermaids, they've been around like the stories of them have been around for centuries and centuries. And I have people who are like, Yeah, and that's evidence that, like, there used to be people who were half fish (laughs) that, like, actually lived on the earth. And I'm like, no, that's not proof that, like, it's not evidence that there were. But people want to believe sometimes whether whether the truth is widely available for them to know or not. They want to believe that it's based on something. Yeah. Which actually, in college, I came up with a story of Hansel and Gretel (laughs) because I was imagining myself. I was like imagining like, what if this story actually happened, just not with any of the actual mythical, magical elements like involved in it, but it was the story of like a mentally unwell Hansel. And so I, I actually made a little movie with my college buddies (laughs) (laughs) where Jeff, uh, drowned his now wife. Yeah. And my mother-in-law loves that movie that we made. Oh my gosh. But also hates it so much. (laughs) I just remember when she was like, can you guys stop killing my daughter in your movies? And we're like, (laughs) Uh, okay (laughs) it goes to something really interesting in the sense that you know some people latch onto these stories by wanting them to be based on real events and they speculate as to what those actual events could be or they want to you know tell their own version of the story which is why like there's been you know tons of hansel and gretel movies that have been made like you've said it's been adapted into operas it's there's this other movie coming out you know for whatever reason it goes back to this thing about there's something about these fairy tales that touch people in a way that they 
want to take ownership of them themselves and put their own kind of stamp and interpretation on it. It even goes back to the thing you're talking about with, you know, like Freud and people analyzing it to try to find this deeper psychological meaning. And it's like, that's really common with all sorts of fairy tales. And I think part of it comes down to the fact that they are these collective stories that don't necessarily belong to one person, you know, they belong to us all. And so that we can tell them and retell them in whatever ways, you know, ring true with us, which is kind of a cool thing about fairy tales. That's why we have a whole podcast talking about them, I think, (laughs) and retelling them. It is interesting that people are able to kind of just get from the fairy tales what they need, and they can also kind of see into them what they want to see into them, which is why when, like, Freud and his work and Carl Jung, when those were becoming really big, like, theories, and they were the kind of the the top of psychology at that time of, and people were really interested in this like new budding field of like psychology. They started to turn to like fairy tales as kind of a way to look at the psychology of the people who are writing the story. And it's not that different from, you know, kind of what gets done today, but with a little more nuance and, advances in what we know about like psychology and the human mind. And I'm sure as those fields keep moving forward and improving, so will people looking back at like these old stories and analyzing them and studying them and trying to figure out what it says about the people who wrote them. So this story is one that lends itself to a lot of retellings One, because people know and recognize it so well. So it's already part of just kind of the absorbed language and stories that we already have present in our mind. And so when somebody already knows what the original is, it becomes easier to make reference to it or to play off of it or play with like the different elements of it because people already have something in their mind to compare it to and Uh what they compare it to is the original story. Right. So you get a lot of like free information. Like you don't have to explain the world. You don't have to explain why there's a house covered in candy. It's because it's like, you know that that is some, it, it just is something that is in the original. So you can deviate from that while drawing on like the knowledge of what the world or whatever is supposed to be already. Correct. And that's why it makes it so easy to be like Hansel and Gretel, vampire hunters. People already have like a little bit of like a working knowledge of like yeah, what vampires are and who Hansel and Gretel are. And so it, yeah, there's already something communicated there about what people are about to witness or experience because they already have this working knowledge. Yeah, and there's them. also just really strong imagery, like like the 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 house made of gingerbread and candy and whatever. It's like that's something that is like I, I want to say it's very unique because it is, but it's not unique because people took it from Hansel and Gretel. You know what I mean? It's like just a very striking, yeah. strange, interesting yeah. image. And the same thing of like leaving a trail of breadcrumbs behind you as as you go to lead your way back. It's just like there's something very. It's easy to picture these things. 
Yeah. As it's happening. And to picture... And to picture just, like, the despair of, like, turning around and realizing, like, your path got eaten. Yeah. And now you're lost in the woods. And, like, kind of that fear of being lost of, especially, like, when you're a kid and you're listening to this story and you're, like, lo- like thinking about, like, being lost in the woods. Everybody has, in their life, like, experienced a moment when they thought they were, like, lost. When they thought they didn't know where their parents were, their protection was, and they felt vulnerable. And so this story, it has a lot of just emotions that are common for people. And so I think it's easy for people to empathize with these characters. Oh, yeah. And to imagine them in their place. And then, yeah, like as a kid hearing a story about a house made out of candy. Yeah, I'm going to remember that. (laughs) (laughs) You've been listening to the Fairy Tellers Podcast. If you enjoyed what you listened to, please leave us a review and share with your friends. For more fairy tale content, head over to thefairytellers.wordpress.com for lighthearted retellings, or follow us on Instagram for daily fairy tale memes at the fairy underscore tellers, or even join the conversation on our Facebook page. Special thanks to Andrew Forey for our music and Clarice Inch for our artwork. This episode contains additional music from Kevin McLeod at Incompetech Music. Check him out at Incompetech.com. May you have warm words on a cold evening, a full moon on a dark night, and a smooth road all the way to your door. An Irish blessing. So they finally get back to the house. They knock on the door and the stepwoman opens it. Stepwoman? That's not a thing. I love that. The stepwoman. <laughs> <laughs>